Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Georgia Southern Extra. I'm your host, Nathan Dominitz, sports content editor of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. And uh, here on Georgia Southern Extra, we talk about Georgia Southern athletics, primarily football. Here it is uh, Wednesday, October 12th. We'll be talking about the upcoming game against James Madison, number 25, James Madison. The Dukes are uh, will be playing at 4 p.m. Uh, at Paulson Stadium uh, in Statesboro on Saturday, and that'll be on ESPN Plus if you can't make it to the game. Uh, our guest today is Shane Metlin of the News Record in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Shane covers James Madison. He's been he's been on that beat for a four and a half years, and he's the perfect person to have on the show today. Uh, just in case you guys uh, wanted to rehash last week, I'm going to guess you don't. Uh, Georgia Southern uh, lost at Georgia State, uh, 41-33 last week. Fell to 0-2 in the Sun Belt Conference. Uh, there's a that's a pretty deep hole to dig out of, especially in the East Division which I'll talk to Shane about because James Madison is not only new to league, but they're new to the division. They're new to FBS. Everything's new, but everything is great right now over in Virginia. So let's bring them in right now. Shane Metlin. Shane, thanks for coming in. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, um, I assume everybody is happy to talk to you right now because things couldn't be going better. Uh, James Madison is five and overall three and zero in the Sunbelt conference. If I talked to you back in July at the Sunbelt media days or back in last spring, when, they're trying to figure out about is James Madison going to be able to join the league this year with Marshall and old dominion and, um, Southern miss, is it all going to come together rather quickly? Were you thinking, okay, they're going to run the table. Did that come to mind at all? No, not, not the run the table. I mean, I think people around here thought they had what it takes to be competitive, but you know, they would play a lot of close games, you know, they'd win some, lose some, then maybe they'd be better than, some people expected from an FCS team jumping up, but I don't think anybody necessarily expected them to be undefeated at this point. And really, if you take away the second quarter at App State, they've they've been fairly dominant like right. through through that that stretch. And that, that's that's probably the most surprising part. The uh, people here uh, in Georgia, they they may know uh, Southern uh, James Madison, especially if they're longtime Georgia Southern fans. This, these teams go way back, and when I mean way back, I mean way back. What is it, thirty years? Since they last played? Yeah, I think so. And it's been longer than that since JMU's beaten Georgia Southern, you know. Um, yeah. Their, their times as FCS 1AA powerhouses didn't actually overlap, I think, uh, you know. But, um, but there is some history there with those programs. But it, go, it goes back a ways. Yeah, I mean, and it is just a number at this point. Nobody who's playing in the game was around back then. Uh, mm-hmm. for them to start. Uh, I think uh, JMU won the first game in Harrisonburg. 
And then the George Southern won the next seven. They played eight years in a row and then haven't played for about 30 years since. Uh, but it's all different. Everybody's different now. Maybe there's some fans that are the same, but and the stadium's uh, more or less the same. But uh, uh, what, what, Jane, let's let, walk me through this for people that maybe weren't uh, following closely. So James Madison was an FCS uh, school, a powerhouse, actually. What they won, uh, the Dukes won two national titles. They won two national titles. They kind of yeah. they they ran into North Dakota State, the juggernaut there, yeah. several times in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're one of the few teams that knocked off North Dakota State a time or two, but um, they, they never quite got to that being the the absolute top mm-hmm. uh, FCS program. But they were there and competitive with them for 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 many years, and you know we're looking to make this jump probably for for several years too. Yeah, maybe ten years or more to plan this out. A move from FCS to FBS requires a lot of a lot of pre-planning. You got to you got to uh, be able to finance what all the the more scholarships, seating capacity at sporting events, not just football, right? We're talking about a lot of things that have to move up, and the spending, the investment has to go way up, right? Yeah, and I think you know they they did some things over the past decade to make sure that when they added twenty scholarships for football, they were still going to be Title IX compliant and not have to like scramble there. Um, they, they upgraded the facilities, you know, across campus, really, I'm sitting in a brand new, well, it's two years old now at this point, almost, but you know, $140 million basketball arena right now. Um, yeah, they've, they've done some, you know, major things to before they made the move rather than vice versa. Right. The, uh, so, uh, they made that, it was already planned that they were going to come up to FBS but the Sun Belt welcomed them in this year. I think was that a year earlier than expected, or is that right on the nose? I think once they started really getting into like the you know serious negotiations with the Sun Belt that they were going to join, then the Sun Belt was thinking, okay, we would like to have all fourteen teams, so we can just start our scheduling model right. how we're going to do it. Um, and so they basically invited JMU once once the NCAA decided that teams that were moving up were going to count as an FBS game for their opponents. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, you know, if Georgia Southern wins on Saturday, this doesn't count as an FCS victory for them, even though JMU is transitioning. And once that was established, then the Sunbelt office said, okay, we'll put them on the schedule. All our teams will play them. We can just go ahead as a 14 team conference. Like we would be moving forward. Okay. So that makes life a lot easier. There's not a lot of, I know as, as writers, we really hate to put in those expand, expository paragraphs over and over again about mm-hmm. with extra context when space is at a premium, uh, maybe not on the internet, but in print. So yeah, everything is pretty smooth and straightforward, but there's a real big obstacle, which is there's a two-year uh, transition period in FBS, correct? And the uh, off of that, uh, James Madison is not bowl eligible in football, bowl eligible, which means that if they played in the Sunbelt conference championship game, they would maybe be taking a prime bowl spot away from someone who was not playing in the game. So they, uh, they kind of got double whammy here. They, they're not bowl eligible, so they're now they're not really competing for the conference championship this year. And, um, but they could, on mathematically, could still win the East Division. But they yeah, and I think they... They'd certainly love to claim the East Division title, even if they don't get to go play in the championship game. Um, and, you know, one thing we didn't mention either is 
they're, they're anticipating being able to cut that transition period in half. Right. It doesn't do anything for them this year, but because they're playing the full conference schedule, because COVID allowed them to carry extra scholarships the past couple years, oh, wow, yeah. they moved up at very close to the 85 scholarship limit already. So, you know, that, that um, appeal or waiver process or whatever officially begins fairly soon, but that's for next year but they're anticipating being eligible for a bowl game next year, even though most teams that have moved up have had to wait the full two years. Yeah. This should sound uh, familiar to Georgia Southern fans who remember when Georgia Southern moved up from FCS, the Southern Mm -hmm. conference to Sunbelt conference, I think back in 2014. And I think Willie Fritz was the coach and I think they won there. I don't know if there was divisions then, but they won the, uh, they won the title, but they had nowhere to go with it. They, they didn't, they couldn't win the league championship. Right. Because well, there was no championship game back yeah, then, yeah. so they were able to be the champions, but they, you know, didn't go to a bowl game. Right. But uh, because there wasn't a championship game, they were, you know, whoever finished the top of standings was the champion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I believe they have a, you know, championship trophy down there sure, in Statesboro. I'm sure they do. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. Yes, but, you know, for in this case, like you mentioned before, the Sun Belt doesn't want a team that's ineligible for a bowl to come knock off a team that might have a chance to go to the cotton bowl or, you know, a big deal, big payout for the conference. So that's why Jamie will play in the championship game. Right now the the cotton bowl is reserved for a group of five team, maybe the highest ranked group of five team. Is that the idea? Yeah. And you know, right now, Cincinnati, if it ended today, Cincinnati out of the American would be that highest ranked team, but both JMU and Georgia and JMU and coastal Carolina are Mm -hmm. not far behind in the coaches and a people. You know, if one of those teams were, were to stumble, that, that's the situation. Yeah. So there's a lot of, at, at least everybody knows the ground rules for right now. And like you mentioned, James Madison's trying to cut the, the transition period in half. And maybe none of us will be having this conversation next year because they will be bowl eligible. And, and one of their arguments is that's, uh, I think you quoted uh, Kurt Signetti uh, or Noah quoted him, uh, Noah Fleischman from your paper that uh, it was an antiquated rule that it was based on uh, giving people time to adjust to get up the scholarships that needed and all that. But with uh, the, uh, the transfer portal and things like that, things just move a lot faster nowadays. Yeah. And I think, you know, when he talks about being an antiquated rule, you can go back to the nineties when Marshall made the transition and what they were able to do was bring a lot of people who transferred Mm. and transferred down to the FCS and they were eligible immediately back when you had to wait a year. Right. Right. And that was kind of what they wanted to eliminate. And also to make sure that the teams that were moving up were not just going to bounce back and forth if things didn't work out, things like that. Um, And, you know, those situations don't really exist anymore with the transfer portal and just, you know, the the money on the line, nobody's probably going to want to move back to FCS once they've made the transition. It's um, that, I think that's what he's referring to when he calls it an antiquated rule. Yeah. Now, nobody, Coach Signetti, nobody, uh, uh, Athletic Director Jeff Bourne, nobody is getting head and saying we're 5-0, and we're assuming we're going to run the table, we're assuming we'll be, you know, arguing like, why not us, we're undefeated. They're, they're still doing the one week at a time mentality, but those of us who want to know what if this happens, we want answers now because it could lay out, play out that way, that, right, that Coastal Carolina is undefeated. Uh, James Madison undefeated. The division is stacked. I think um, App State would probably have been the preseason 
favorite based on everything, including history. Coastal Carolina has been, had a great run, but they lost a lot of talent, some to the NFL. They still have their quarterback, Grayson McCall. Um, Marshall's in the division now. Uh, people know that they're really solid. Uh, Old Dominion, a little more question marks. George Southern coming off a three and nine year with a new head coach, a new staff, basically. Uh, it was kind of like Georgia State also improving every year. Uh, it's just a, a real battle every uh every week and you saw app state got knocked off and you mentioned jmu coming back against app state so really uh do you kind of put on your use your crystal ball as coach clay helton said uh, monday about uh, predicting the future get out your crystal ball do you see that one team can rise above the fray or will they kind of cannibalize each other and everybody's going to have at least one loss i yeah i wouldn't be surprised if everybody ends up with at least one loss i mean you know, Coastal is the other undefeated team right now, and they've had some close games, some close calls. Although I, I do feel like they're getting better each week probably, sure. and, you know, maybe they're going to peak at the right time. But it, it's a tough, tough division. And, yeah. you know, it might end up being, you know, somebody out west like a South Alabama who ends up, you know, running the table within the conference. They have the close loss to UCLA. And then right, maybe we're talking close. about them as a team that can crash the party a little bit if uh, if they can run the table on their yeah. side of things. It, it reminds a lot of us here in the South about the SEC having an East Division, West Division, and after Alabama and maybe Auburn or maybe Arkansas rises up a one year or Mississippi State. But it's basically Alabama, Auburn, and everybody else for many years, and then LSU. And then on the East side, Florida, Tennessee, um, Georgia would be kind of the, 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 the known quantities year in and year out, dependable to be up there for a long time, but the East was stacked. Uh, the West was kind of top heavy. It's only, it's still only five, six games in Coastal Carolina is already six and zero and, and bowl eligible, but uh, I, you make a great point. I think South Alabama could, um, and they do play Georgia Southern um, in the cross cross division play. Um, there's, there's that, that schedule for Georgia Southern is, is real, real tough. And um, they play everybody in the East and then South Alabama and uh, they don't play Troy, I guess. But they play Louisiana, which for the last several years, Louisiana was the team to beat in the West. So uh, they're kind of down a little bit so far this year. So we uh, the division is crazy, crazy good. But whoever rises above that and say that team also wins the, the league championship game, that should give them a great resume to, to go to when, they, when it comes to the top 25 poll, which is where the real money will be made, right? You want to be as high as possible ahead of a Cincinnati or a Memphis or somebody like that. Uh, be that group of five team. That's the easy decision uh, playing on national TV games like Coastal Carolina BYU a couple of years ago, that kind of cemented them as a, that they're the real deal that year anyway. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, you want to be that highest ranked group of five team when it's all over, which is kind of the one thing the Sun Belt hasn't, ha- hasn't put on their resume yet. They've right. had the multiple top 25 teams. They've had the, power five upsets, things like that, but they haven't really beaten out that American athletic conference team or, you know, sometimes the mountain West team as you know, Mm -hmm. the top one to get to that big money bowl game. And it seems like a possibility as, as, as things change, as things shake out as, you know, the American after this season will not be the same kind of conference they have been. Um, It seems like they're in position to finally get there. If not this year, then soon. Yeah, it's it's kind of they're, they're walking a, the Sun Belt and all the group of five. They're kind of walking a, a very narrow path. You want to be dominant, but you also want to have a tough schedule. So you almost mm. have to go undefeated 
and you also have to beat some, you know, marquee games. Like if, if uh, South Alabama beaten UCLA, I think it was what a one point game uh, we might be having a whole different conversation at the end of the year. Uh, but they basically are, are held, held up to such a standard that you see that there's what only, only two group of five teams in the top 25 right now, uh, Cincinnati at number 21 and, and James Madison 25 coastal Carolina is just outside the, the, the number a little bit, but you basically, if they beat each other up, it's not good for anybody, really. You need somebody to rise by the fray. Uh, we're going to come back with Shane Metlin of the News Record in, in Harrisonburg, Virginia. I'm going to ask Shane to, we, we're going to veer off just for a second. We want to talk about the football game, and there's a lot to talk about uh, with the Dukes. But um, uh, Georgia Southern's former men's basketball coach has, has been at James Madison a couple of seasons. So I just want to check in real quick with Shane about how Coach Byington is doing over there. Um, let's, but I want to take a pause here, uh, uh, let uh, Shane take a lunch break. We're going to bring him back uh, right after I plug the best source for local news in Savannah, the Savannah Morning News at savannahnow.com. You want to know what's going on with Georgia Southern football, uh, like we've been talking about, or what about high school games? Who who are the top teams right now? Who's hot? Who's not in the Coastal Empire? Uh, as well as uh, Savannah State, what's going on with the Tigers on the march? They uh, won homecoming last week. They're, uh, they're, uh, they're, uh, the season's shaping up uh, pretty well right now. Uh, for all those answers and more, and as well as news, features, and opinion columns come check us out uh, if you aren't a subscriber now's the time to try us out you can get a uh, full access to our digital content uh right now I, the special i saw yesterday was one dollar for six months one dollar for six months that'll take you well past football season well into basketball season we're practically giving it away one dollar for six months see if that's the special maybe the special is uh 22 for 24 months get two years worth uh see what the the deal is see if it's something that you'd like to try uh, go to savannahnow.com slash subscribe now and sign up. That's savannahnow.com slash subscribe now. And uh, give us a shot. We appreciate you reading. And now let's get back to Shane Metlin of the News Record in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And Shane, uh, thanks. Welcome back. I hope you had, had a nice, nutritious lunch on that long <laughs> break you had. I uh, hope you didn't spend all the money we're paying you to be on the show, which is uh, zero. Um, what... Uh, how how is that James Madison basketball? We're going to see James Madison a couple of times. Once in Statesboro, and actually uh, in uh, in Savannah at the new um, at the new Market Arena at the uh, the Thanksgiving Week College Basketball Tournament. Um, well, I think that's right. They're they're still playing. They're so they're making a couple yeah. trips to uh, Southeast Georgia. How are things going with uh, James, James Madison basketball the last couple of years? Just uh, sum it up for us. I think it's been a market improvement since Mark Byington took over the program. Um, they, in the, the, the season that was really affected by COVID and was shortened quite a bit, they ended up winning the regular season CAA title. Um, last year, they got off to a really hot start. They were nine and two. They'd beaten Virginia. Um, were looking really good and then kind of got hit by injuries and a few other things. And, um, they also they had another long COVID break during that season. Uh, I think the longest in the country ended up struggling a little bit down the stretch. Um, but they did put together back to back winning seasons in Mark Byington's first two, two years that um, had not happened here in a long time. Now I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the exact number of years, but it had been a while, like I think at least a decade since they'd won, mm-hmm. had a winning record in back to back seasons. And um I think there's optimism that they're going to be pretty pretty solid this year in their first Sun Belt season. Yeah, I think it'd be fun. Mark is a native Virginian, I believe. If I recall when he left, 
Um, so hopefully he's having a, a really settled in there and, and having a great, uh, great career move there. And we'll, and people in Statesboro will be glad to see him. They may not be glad to see the Dukes, but they'll be glad to see him again. And uh, any sense that people uh, in Virginia will be heading down I-95 to come to Savannah for that college tournament? Any, I'm not sure. It'll be, it'll, it's, um, if, if things hold out, like we were talking before, that would be the same weekend that um, JMU and Coastal Carolina would play in football mm. in Harrisonburg. So probably wouldn't be as many of the JMU fans heading down wow. there for the early season what, basketball tournament what as they might have. Wow. Well, I, I hear James Madison fans travel well. So when they play this Saturday at 4 p.m. at Paulson Stadium in Statesboro, uh, I hear, I hear uh, we should expect a lot of James, uh, James Madison fans there. They do tend to travel well, especially, you know, a game that's, that's drivable for a lot of people. You know, they've, they've got a fairly strong alumni base in the Carolinas and you know, Charlotte and everything. And I, I imagine Atlanta, too. So they'll probably be a good number, yeah. making a fairly short drive for them. Yeah. Um, and and uh, and they're used to seeing them win on the road. I think uh, I saw in the James Madison notes today they've won like eight. And going back to the FCAS days, obviously they've won like eighteen straight or fourteen straight road games. I think one of them is conference road games. Uh, uh, it's a long, uh, maybe it's eleven. It's a long number of. They have a winning streak going in regular season. Uh, they have a winning streak going on road games in regular season. Uh, James Madison just solid quality, high quality football for a long time now. And the move to FBS, as we talked about in the first half of the program, uh, it's all timed very well. Now let's get to on the field, Shane. You've seen them play. I watched uh, that Arkansas State game on NFL Network the other night. Man, uh, James Madison, it's, it, it kind of reminded me, and I mean this in a good way, of a flag football game where people are going out left and right. There's always somebody open. Uh, um, uh, Todd Santeo uh, just distributes the ball great he, uh, so well. Um, uh, he played so well, he was, uh, Sunbelt conference offensive player of the week for the second time this season. Uh, and, uh, well, let's start there with Todd Santeo. I'm, I hope I'm saying that right. Santeo. Yeah. Yeah. Santeo. Yeah. He, uh, he was at, uh, Temple. He was at, uh, Colorado state. Uh, now he's a grad student at, uh, at, um, James Madison. And, uh, he, you got that veteran quarterback. This sounds familiar to a lot of schools right now. You got a veteran quarterback who transferred in. Uh, back in January, and it just—he's just taking the ball and, and run and thrown it right. He's there's this guy's been great. Yeah, he really has been, and it, it seems like it's a situation where he finally got into a system that you know catered to his strengths. You know, Kurt Signetti was saying just yesterday in the press mm-hmm. conference that when he he arrived at Colorado State, then there was a coaching change, and the new staff liked to run things under center and. You know, drop back passing and everything. And he, he's really a lot better in the, you know, RPO type situations and out of the shotgun. And it, it's really shown his, his statistics have made a huge increase, especially when you look at his touchdown interception ratio, it, it was, you know, it's incredible this year, last year at Colorado state, it was, you know, average at best. And, you know, he, he's really made a jump there. The, and I think they're talking about him as a, a pro prospect now, right? I, I, yeah, I haven't heard as much of that, but I know there's been there've been a lot of pro scouts around Harrisonburg, you know, this year um, watching. And I would think if you just compare him to some of the other past JMU quarterbacks who have, you know, either been a late draft pick or gotten that free agent opportunity, his numbers and performance stack up with them. And, you know, I would think he'd probably get some sort of opportunity after the season. Well, he leads an offense. Uh, well, I can throw out some stats, but 
the the basic thing is James Madison is first in the conference, the Sunbelt Conference in scoring offense, 44.2 points a game. Uh, Georgia Southern right behind there at 37. But total, so they got the offense clicking. Total defense, James Madison first, only uh, two, uh, 227 yards a game. Georgia Southern last of 14 teams, 453 yards a game. Let that sink in. Uh, it's double, basically. Uh, scoring defense, George, uh, James Madison first, 15 points a game they've allowed. Georgia Southern 11th, uh, 30.3 points a game. These numbers are not adding up well for Georgia Southern on paper. Um, George Southern has uh, a productive offense, highly productive offense, especially passing. James Madison is just clicking on all, in all aspects. They got a uh, number one rush defense in the country, number two total defense in the country, all FBS programs, 131. So they're dominating Sunbelt Conference stats offensively and defensively. They're, they're uh, spot, spotting very well or slotting very well nationally. I know it's based a lot on who you've played and it's only been five games and it's six games for some other schools, but is that the true uh, James Madison team? Can we say that the sample size is large enough? I know you mentioned about uh, they won't, they only had maybe one bad half or quarter, but is this, is this something we, we should expect to see week in week out? I think for the most part, I mean, when you talk about the run defense and the numbers they are putting up there, the, it's hard to deny that nobody's been able to run the ball against them. Right. Um, they also get a good number of sacks that, you know, at the college level affect those run totals. Um, and I think that's going to be a big key this week is if they can continue to get those pressure and those sacks. That's one thing Georgia Southern hasn't really given up very many sacks. Yeah, um, and, you know, that's been kind of the bread and butter for JMU to they, they're playing some true freshmen at quarterback that are going to be tested against, you know, a quarterback like, Kyle Vantrese, who throws for a ton of yards. Yeah. Um, so I think that's going to be the real key is if they can get some pressure on him and take a little pressure off their own young guys that are out there in the secondary. Yeah. Uh, because I, I expect I expect Georgia Southern to get some yards through the air, mm-hmm. but maybe maybe JMU is able to make them a little more predictable by taking away the run game. Right, right. That's right. The, I think the the run game is going to be key. If Georgia Southern can establish that, uh, when you get behind, of course, they already are throwing a lot. If, if they throw even more and kind of forget about the run game after not having success for, say, uh, two or three quarters, that, that could uh, kind of spell trouble. Uh, they do throw the ball a lot, but they also uh, have had a lot of um, completions and a lot of interceptions, 11 interceptions to 13 touchdowns, I think it is. So they're really going to focus on staying away from turnovers. Um and I'm going to, I'm going to uh, make sure we get to these points because we're coming near the end of the show. But um, the, uh, the, uh, the coach Clay Helton of George Southern talked about the, the front four of George, of uh, James Madison being um, amongst the best they've played all season. Uh, he, I asked him about how did JM, JMU make such a, a quick transition, successful transition from FCS to FBS. I know we're only, uh, they're only five games in, but it, like we said, it's been going great guns. They, he said, uh, you know, you start with the coach, a uh, great program there, but also they have a lot of guys that are veteran guys that have been with the program for, for years. Now, of course, uh, Todd Santeo doesn't count. He's new to the program since the spring, but uh, I believe they have some running backs, some uh, wide receivers, people that have been well-established at the JMU culture. Um, and uh, I'll ask you specifically about a couple of those guys, but is that, is that the case that, um, that they, they have an, a lot of – it isn't like everybody's new. The, the program is new to FBS, but the players and the coaches are not new to George uh, to James Madison. They've got something already established. 
Yeah. And, you know, you talk about running backs, uh, you know, Percy, Ajay Obese, he, you said he, it, uh, I couldn't. You, yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't even quite get it right. I, I, I've been saying yeah, it for a long time. Yeah, I've been calling him Percy. Uh, I didn't even want to try. Let's try it one more time. He's a great running back. Yeah, Percy Ajay Obese. Obese. Yeah. There you go. Okay. And um, yeah, he's, said. we, we, we call him Percy a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Our <laughs> um, cultural but, bias. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but he, yeah, he's a guy who's been in the program for a long time. He's dealt with some injuries and, Really, probably this past week was the first time we've seen him fully 100% healthy in a long time. And then you see him out there running guys over and, you yeah. know, breaking tackles and you really seeing what he can do. He's, he's one of those guys, um, you know, the offensive line is young on paper. But, you know, it's one of the things I've talked to Kurt Signetti about this year is that they're a group that a lot of sophomores, some redshirt juniors in that group, but they got extra games together last year playing in the deep into the FCS playoffs. It was, you know, played about four extra games together. Um, That's a great point there. Yeah. And, you know, situations like that, I think have helped them make this jump and, you know, they're, they're young in spots, but, you know, veteran in some key areas, you know, even like we mentioned, Todd Santeo new to the program, but he's been through, he's been through a lot in his career. And yeah. 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 They have that mix. James Mana has that mix of, uh, from offense, defense, everything. Uh, maybe maybe their punter isn't the best in the world. Maybe that's something right there. But punter is okay. They've struggled with field goals this year. They haven't, they haven't, it hasn't come back to hurt them yet, but it's uh, yeah. that's probably one of the major concerns right now. There you go. You just nailed it on the head. But uh, uh, but uh, the, so yeah, everything's going great right now. It's it's probably. Uh, on one hand, it's uh, probably one of the worst times to play James Madison because they're super hot right now. Uh, it is, uh, but they are at home. Uh, the, the Eagles are at home. Uh, they really like playing at home. They've only been at home twice this season so far. Uh, they've been on the road four times, and uh, so they're two and zero. They got four home games in the last six. They're really going to try to put a, uh, a a run together to try to get back into this thing. Uh, but they also hope that that home field advantage helps them rise to the occasion against a nationally ranked team. And, and nationally ranked for a very good reason. They're not, it is, they haven't been playing just a bunch of pushovers. Uh, James Madison's been playing great. The, uh, I want everybody to, to highlight wide receiver Chris Thornton. Uh, I know you've written about him. You did a feature on him the other day. Uh, I think he's, he's one of the leading receivers in the country and in the conference, of course, like at 103 yards a game. Uh, but he had a game where only had, he had what, minus one yard? Yeah. Like, and he's absolutely. still averaging 100 yards a game. Yeah, and that game, you know, he was double covered at the line of scrimmage pretty much the entire game. They they sold out. Yeah, at App State. And they sold out to stop him, and some other guys ended up having big games in that one. Um, But he's a guy who you you sit in the press box and you wonder how he manages to be so wide open sometimes because you know everybody is keying on him, and he still manages to run those routes so precisely and has good speed and everything that. Oh yeah, he, he finds himself open more than you would think. His yards after catch are ridiculous, right? Yeah, especially you know last week he had I think 103. It was more than 100 yards after the catch, um, which was you know that was I think probably a little bit a symptom of them after seeing what App State did, double covering him, figuring out okay we're going to get him in the flat, we're going to hand the ball off to him a little bit, we're going to we're going to make them second guess double covering him because we'll, we'll do some different things and, you know, make it look a little different. And, yeah. um, 
that's paid off for them so far. Yeah, the uh, it's it's a real challenge right now to to face a team like James Madison, which does so many things so well. Um, quarterback is really clicking. The running backs, wide receivers, not just Thornton. Uh, you mentioned the, the lines uh, on both sides of the ball. Uh, Georgia Southern has a history of rising the occasion against uh, Appalachian State when they were ranked both at home and on road. Uh, it is what it is as far as history. It doesn't mean anything really, but uh, uh, more recent history. Georgia Southern played Coastal Carolina when they were ranked last season and uh, did not have a, a great game. But uh, against BYU, under some really trying circumstances, I think BYU was number 14, came into uh, Paulson Stadium for a night game. It was probably the most electric, I'd say probably, probably definitely the most electric game of the year against a team they never played before, I don't believe. And uh, the players, everybody felt like that gave them the best chance to, to rise to the occasion, just the electricity the adrenaline, all that, all that uh, intangible stuff was gave them a shot. Didn't mean they won the game. I think by the third quarter, uh, BYU showed why they are a nationally ranked team with a, a couple future NFL guys on the roster. But um, anyway, I I, uh, I want to get, let Shane kind of wrap up last thoughts about JM, JMU season. Uh, is there any? Is there an outside chance that they could argue to get bowl eligible this season, or is that that door closed? I think it seems unlikely. I, I'm they'll they will ask. They'll they'll ask for it. I think they'll try to ask nicely. And <laughs> I think I think probably, you know, the the main I like how you said ask nicely. They're well, like, I mean, you gotta give us next year. So what about this year? The, well, there was there was more contention with uh some of the things that went on with the CAA last year and oh, yeah. being banned okay. from the season and stuff, uh yeah, in sports great. other than football. Um I think, I think they're trying to play a little nicer this time around. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's unlikely, but I think what, what will have to be considered is if they can continue to be undefeated and maybe it's in the Sun Belt's best interest to push for them if it means getting one of their teams into that Cotton Bowl slot. Um, that, you know, there's a long way to go before that happens, but I think you know, that's probably the main consideration or if you're in one of those situations where there's just not enough six win teams to fill all the bowl spots. Um, but that doesn't seem extremely likely at this point. Yeah. Well, I, Georgia Southern is intent on upsetting all those plans, but it's only one game. And, and like, I think both of us agree, you know, there's two teams in position in the East division in coastal Carolina and JMU to, to, to go undefeated. Uh, there's one team in uh, South Alabama that has a loss, but they're having a great run so far. Uh, one of those will probably have to rise above and, and uh, coastal Carolina JMU game will be uh that'll be a, 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 could be a lot, a lot of things on the line for that. Um, uh, Shane Matlin, thanks so much for being on the show. You've been a wealth of information. Hope people, I know people learned a lot about the Dukes uh, and uh, even got a little men's basketball in there, a little Mark Byington reunion talk there. Uh, thanks so much for being on the show. Anything else you want to say in our, our final moments here? Uh, no, other than just, you know, you can read all about, you know, JMU and other stuff on the, uh, daily news record, dnronline.com. And other than that, you know, well, follow, fo- follow. That's a great plug. Uh, follow, what a pro follow, follow Shane on Twitter. Shane, Shane, you remember your Twitter account? You'll find him. Yeah. It's uh Shane underscore DNR sports. Right. And that's Shane. Ask for him by name, Shane Metlin, M E T T L E N uh veteran reporter there. Uh, Shane, thanks so much for being on the show. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll, we'll be back next week to talk about how things went with the Dukes and Eagles and, and previewing the old dominion game coming up. Thanks very much for listening. Have a great day. Uh, once again, we're on, uh, 
every week. Thanks very much. Oh, he will. Adrian Peterson is taking care of things right now. The Wesley Fields. Touchdown. Georgia Southern. Fast swings. On the way. It's gone! It is well with my stolen Montgomery! Georgia Southern wins! Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.